Psalm 37 in your Bibles again this evening. And we began a topical sermon this morning. We're going to look to conclude this evening uh, talking about waiting. And waiting is not an easy thing to do. Waiting is not something that most of us enjoy doing. But waiting is an important part of the Christian life. Once you have found Psalm 37 or you're almost there, if you're on your way to finding it, let's stand this evening to read God's Word. Psalm 37, verse 6 through 9, where we began this morning, we'll begin there again this evening. The Bible says, And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself, because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any way, any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray this evening. Ask God's blessing on our service. Lord, thank you for being such a good God to us. And Lord, thank you for uh, teaching us and uh, Lord, helping us to operate on your timeline and not ours. And uh, Lord, the sermon tonight, my prayers will help all of us to, uh, Lord, sort of reset ourselves mentally and uh, put ourselves in line with what you want and in your timing instead of, Lord, pressing for our timing. And so, Lord, as we focus in on the actions tonight that accompany waiting, may we get busy doing the work you have before us while we wait for those answers to prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning we looked at four attributes that should describe every Christian that is waiting for God. Uh, They were uh, courage, patience, hope, and anticipation. Uh, I mentioned how that I don't really enjoy waiting all that much. Um, By way of introduction, uh, take your Bibles over to Isaiah chapter number 40, Isaiah chapter 40. And uh, verse number 31, a, uh, one of the most famous verses, if not the most famous verse in the book of Isaiah. We're to wait with courage. Uh, uh, we talked about King Saul, how he wasn't very courageous in his waiting on Samuel to come perform that sacrifice. We talked about waiting with patience. And uh, we talked about the king there in Samaria uh, when the city was surrounded, how he was not Patient. We talked about waiting with hope and David hoping in the Lord that God would stay his hand of judgment or limit his hand of judgment on him. And then we looked at waiting with anticipation and we looked at Anna and, Anna and Simeon, how they waited for the day they could hold baby Jesus there in the temple. They waited with anticipation. Look at Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. The Bible says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Many people have used this verse to talk about the three stages of the Christian life. What are those stages? Walking, running, and flying. Walking, running, and flying. The story is told of a southern preacher uh, that told his church one night, God has told our church to walk. A deacon in the back piped up and said, Amen, preacher. 
pastor got a little more animated with the enthusiasm of his deacon and he said, God has instructed this church to run. And again, that deacon got all fired up and stood up and said, Hallelujah! Sat back down on the pastor with all the gusto he could muster. Said, not only has God called this church to walk and to run, but God has commanded this church to fly. Man, that, that deacon got up and began to wave his Bible. Hallelujah! Amen, preacher! That's good. And then the pastor, with all the boldness uh, that he had gained from the momentum of the moment, he said, if this church is going to mount up with wings and fly, it's going to cost us some money. That deacon shouted, he said, let her walk, preacher. Let her walk. (laughs) When we learn to wait with the right attitude and then add to it the right actions, then we learn to soar above our problems the way the eagle soars above a storm. Did you know that an eagle knows when a storm is approaching long before it breaks? The eagle will fly to some high point and wait for the winds to come. And then when the storm hits, it sets its wings so that the wind will pick it up and lift it far above the storm. While the storm rages below, the eagle is soaring above the storm. Uh, This morning we looked at the attributes or attitudes God wants us to have while we wait. Tonight, let's take our attention to the four actions that should be done while the Christian is waiting. So let's jump in tonight. Four, uh, Four thoughts here, four actions. Notice action number one, we are to wait while working. We are to wait while working. Look at Psalm chapter number 37 where we began this evening. Psalm 37 and look with me at verse number 34 there. Psalm 37, 34. A very important verse here and a part of the verse that often gets skipped over, glossed right over. And this is a verse many Christians have memorized, but not a part of the verse that often gets much of the attention. Look here, Psalm 37, 34. Wait on the Lord. Read those next four words with me out loud. Ready? Here we go. And keep his way. Keep his way. And he shall exalt thee. To inherit the land, when the wicked are cut off, uh, thou shalt see it. Notice that while we are waiting, we are to keep His way. Take your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 25 this evening. Matthew chapter 25. Uh, We're not to wait and sit around and twiddle our thumbs. We're not to wait and uh, pick the tulips and uh, count... um, uh, the ceiling tiles in a ceiling or, uh, you know, wander around aimlessly. Uh, somebody said many Christians are too busy sitting on the premises instead of standing on the promises. Amen. And we need to be busy doing the work of the Lord while we are waiting on the Lord to give us uh, the uh, desires of our heart. Matthew chapter 25, look with me at verse number 14. The Bible says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he 
um, uh, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Now, likewise, God has given each of us abilities and a responsibility to use the resources uh, in front of us to do his work while he is away. Um, what is it that we are waiting Well, you say, well, pastor, I've got prayers I'm waiting for. I get all that, but is there anything greater than the day that the Lord comes and He raptures the Christian church home and we're delivered from all of our sorrows and struggles and sin and all of the problems that uh, life throws at us, all of the aches and pains. Uh, Some of you, every morning when you wake up, you have your three best friends waiting to meet you, snap, crackle, and pop. Amen? And you're going to get to heaven one day and snap, crackle, and pop will no longer be present. You'll be, your body will be made whole. Not only will you be physically made whole, spiritually you'll be made whole. And we await the day of the rapture when uh, the Lord says, Come up hither, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And as First Thessalonians 4 tells us, and those of us that are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. It's going to be a great day. We await that rapture. And so what is it? we are to be doing while we wait for the the rapture. Well, we're to be doing the work of the Lord. Look back down at verse number 19 with me. Verse 19, the Bible says, In a long time uh, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Below, behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Bold, I have gained two other talents besides uh, beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. So in this story, in this parable, um, a rich man, a king comes, a Lord comes, and he gives his servants money. Uh, one man he gives five talents, and the man he gives Two talents, and another man, he gives one talent, and he says, I'm going to go away for an indefinite period of time, and when I return, I want you to have put my money to the exchangers. I want you to have uh, traded my money, and I want you to try to earn interest on the money I've given you, get to work. And so that man left for an indefinite period of time, and while he was gone, the first two servants, the one that had five talents and two talents, they immediately got to work. Well, what, were they waiting? Yes, they were waiting on their master to return. But were they sitting while they were waiting? No, they were busy working while they were waiting. They were working while they were waiting. Christian, I want to ask you a question this evening. Are you working the work of the Lord while you're waiting on the return of the Lord? I see many Christians who are comfortable to just come and sit on a church pew and hear a homily and go home and live their life and uh, invest their life in things that have no eternal value. And one day you're going to stand before the Lord and he's going to want to know, I gave you spiritual gifts when you got saved. Did you invest those into others? You see, to whom much 
is given, much shall be required. Much shall be required. You say, well, I don't have very many talents. I don't have very many spiritual gifts. I don't have much to offer. Pastor, my schedule has me yanked and pulled a hundred directions. I especially think of the mothers in our church that still have small children at home. And it feels like all you can do is just survive from one day to the next. And I would just say to those moms, the day is coming where your infants and toddlers will be um, uh, juniors and, and then preteens and teens. And the day needs to come when you are able to get back into doing that eternal work. Right now, your eternal work is to invest in those children and, uh, and prepare them spiritually to do that work. The day will come when it's your turn to get back uh, into the action of the church. Your, your work now is with the children. Make sure you never, ever, ever lose your heart to serve the Lord. And where opportunities present themselves, you get at it. Many people are very good at making excuses as to why they can't do the work of the Lord. And I will make you this promise. If you uh, are finding an excuse right now as to why you can't, there, there will come a day when that excuse is gone. If you're in, in an excuse-making mode, you'll find another excuse as to why you can't. My friend, if you want to do it, you'll do it. Whether or not you want to, you will. And uh, we all can hide behind excuses, but uh, what is the old adage there? If you want it bad enough, you'll find a way. If you don't, you'll find an excuse. And one day when we stand before God, our excuses are going to melt away. And He's going to want to know what we did with the gifts and talents that He gave us. Look down at verse number 24. It says, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gathered where I had not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For in every one that hath shall be given, and he uh, shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath, and cast ye the unprofitable servant in outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. One day when you stand before God, is he going to look at you and call you a good and faithful servant, or is he going to call you a wicked and slothful servant? My friend, we're waiting on Jesus to return. How many believe that Jesus very well could come back tonight? How many believe that? Are we living like we believe it? Are we living like we believe it? Uh, I have a fear that Jesus is going to come back right when I'm in the middle of committing some sin. I'll be in the act of sin and He'll come back and I'll be standing in His presence. I'll have unconfessed sin in my heart and life and I'll have to stand before God embarrassed and ashamed. Boy, one day when I stand before God, I, I don't want Him to look at me and say, I gave you these gifts and talents. What did you do with him while you were waiting for me? I want him to look at me and say, Boy, you, you sure had your share of problems. You sure were uh, blemished in a lot of ways. But boy, you took what I gave you and you were, you were working hard for the kingdom of heaven. 
my question this uh, evening to you is, while you're waiting, are you working? While you're waiting, are you working? Uh, do you believe that Jesus is going to come back in your lifetime? I sure do. I sure do. Uh, I look at uh, the current world events as they are, and I read the book of Revelation, and I understand what um, is going to take place in the Revelation, or at least I believe I have a pretty good idea of what's going to take place in the book of Revelation. And I see how technology has developed and advanced. You understand there was a day where the idea of everyone in the world seeing two witnesses shot and killed and resurrected from the dead seemed like a fairy tale or something that was impossible. But now with smartphones and cameras and uh, cellular networks and Wi-Fi networks and Internet, when these two witnesses are shot and killed in the street and then raised from the dead, the whole world will witness this. We have the technology in place. You understand the idea of buying and selling um, with a mark in the hand or the forehead. They're already chipping animals today. In fact, there are parts of the world where people are voluntarily being chipped in their right hand or their forehead. You see, the technology is all there. The world is becoming more and more wicked. I hear people complain about America and talk about how America is a, a corrupt place and our government uh, is, is becoming bloated and we have crony capitalism and uh, it's becoming immoral and vile or is immoral and vile. And people complain about America and I look at them and I say, well, what other country would you rather live in? You know what, that is a true statement, but that's also a sad indictment on the state of the rest of the world. If America is the Sebastian of holiness in the world, we're not very holy. The day is coming where Jesus is going to return. The night is getting darker and darker. And my friend, I don't know about you, but if we have a good idea that Jesus is coming back soon, this is the time to get to work. I've talked about babysitting when I was little, watching my little brothers and sisters and waiting until I knew my parents were coming home. And then we would start cleaning up the house. My friend, Jesus is coming home. He's coming to get us. Amen? And you have every warning. Uh, you may have been sitting around and being lazy up to this point for the Lord. It's time to get to work. He, he's on His way to get us. He's, he, he's coming soon. And in my opinion, uh, again, my opinion, five to ten years the rapture is going to happen. We must be busy about the work of the Lord. So when He returns, He catches us working, investing that which He's giving us. We are to wait while working. Number two, notice we are to wait while seeking, while seeking. Turn over to Isaiah chapter number 8 and verse number 17. Isaiah chapter number 8 and look with me there at verse number 17. Are you doing the work of the Lord? Are you seeking the face of the Lord? Now, I'll begin reading here. The Bible says, and I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his, his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. I will look for him. Uh, turn over to, with me, if you would, to one other passage uh, here, Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, under point 2, one other passage. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse number 1. Here in Nehemiah, we find uh, the story of a man who would go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Here we find a man who was in captivity uh, under King Artaxerxes and the Persian government, and he would be sent by Artaxerxes to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. How did that process 
take place. You see, God had hidden His face from Israel. He God had hidden His face from His people because of their sin. And uh, they were forced to wait for the day that God would release them and send them back. So what did Isaiah do while God was hiding His face? What did or rather Nehemiah do while God was forcing them to wait? Look at Nehemiah chapter 1 and look at verse number 1. The Bible says the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month... Chesliu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity that are in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God or awesome God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his Commandments. What happened here? Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king, and there he is in the palace. And a friend of his named Hanani comes from Jerusalem and tells him about the burned-down state, the uh, the soot-ridden-faced uh, 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 state of the country of of Israel and of the people of Jerusalem. And uh, boy, his heart begins to break as he realizes how how horrible of a state the land of his forefathers is. And what does he do? He seeks God's face. Look at chapter two. And look at verse number 1. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the, 20, uh, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not before time, I had not, not been before time, sad in his presence. Now some would say, well, where is the waiting in this story? He he was told the news, he was sad, he went before the king, and then the king sent him forth in order to be, go, go and be able to restore the walls. Pastor, I don't see the waiting in this passage. Well, here it is. Look back with me at chapter 1 and verse 1, and you find that uh, the news came to him in the month Chisliu. Now, Chisliu is equivalent to our November. So he got the news in November. Look back at chapter 2 and verse 1. Notice there it says, And it came to pass in the month Nisan. Nisan is equivalent to our March or April. March or April. So you see here, he found out in November. He began to weep in November. But he was not sent by God, or by the king rather, God through the king, to rebuild the walls for, what, four or five months. Four or five months he prayed and wept and had seasons of fasting before God sent him to restore the work. You say, Pastor, I have prayed and I have asked God for something and I feel as though the answer is wait. What should I do? Well, the first thing you should do is you should work. And then the second thing you should do is seek his face. Oftentimes, we pray for God to change His answer. Or we ignore His answer and continue to pray the same prayer. Don't miss this right here. This is so important. 
God wants you to seek Him. God wants us to know Him. Boy, write this down. If you're taking notes, maybe flip your piece of paper over there and write this down. The answer to your prayer is not nearly as important as the relationship that you gain through the journey of praying. The answer to your prayer is not nearly as important as the relationship that you gain through the journey of praying. That will be left up there for a moment so you can write that down. Here's how prayer often works for many Christians. We go to God with something we really passionately want. We ask God for it for a day, a week, maybe a month. And after about a month of praying, if not less, we're not getting what we want from God, and so we just throw up our hands and we either quit asking for that or sometimes, if we're honest, we quit praying altogether. And say, well, God, if you're not going to give me what I want, then I'm, not, I'm just not going to talk to you. This is like a toddler who's pitching a tantrum toward his mom because he can't have whatever it is he wants. This is a husband or wife who gives a cold shoulder to the other one because they can't get their way. We, be, we become passive-aggressive with God. And, and here's where we need a paradigm shift. Here's where we need to change our outlook on this. You listening this evening? When we go to God in prayer and ask Him for things, that's great. We're commanded to ask and seek and knock in Matthew chapter 7. Here, Nehemiah is asking God to resolve the problem in Jerusalem with the walls being broken down and the city being burned. Nothing wrong with that. But what we must set as our priority in prayer is not getting things from God. We must set as our priority having a relationship with God. Boy, it's so important when we go to God and we're seeking Him, we're not seeking Him for things. We're seeking Him for Him. We're seeking Him to have a relationship with Him. This comes back to what we talked about this morning, and that's this, do I... Do I want to have a relationship with God? I lost my train of thought. Let me just say this. If time is currency to life, then how are you spending it during the time that God has told you to wait? If time is the currency to life, how are you spending it during the time that God has told you to wait? Are you seeking God's face? Are you spending time in the presence of God? Um, I just want to remind us all here that when we spend time in the presence of God, you know what you're going to find? You're going to discover that we serve a compassionate God. A compassionate God. What are you doing while you're waiting for God to answer your prayer? You see, many folks, instead of doing the work of the Lord, they're busy running around the hamster wheel of life, wasting their time and energy. If they're working, they're doing the wrong work. Many folks, instead of seeking God's face, they're busy trying to solve life's problems on their own. 
We must be busy working while we're waiting. We must be busy seeking while we're waiting. Number three, we are to wait while resting. While resting. Look at Psalm 37, verse number 7. If you happen to stick a bookmark there or some sort of a marker there, a piece of paper there, quickly get back over there. Psalm 37, verse 7. The Bible says, rest in the Lord and wait, wait patiently for Him. Wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of him that prospereth in the way, because of the man who bringeth um, uh, wicked devices to pass. So while we rest in the Lord, or rather while we're waiting patiently, we are to rest in the Lord. Now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, hold on just a moment here. I thought that we were supposed to work while we waited. God wants us to work while we wait, but we are supposed to rest as well. You're to work and you are to rest as you wait. So uh, notice how uh, that we are uh, supposed to rest. Are we to rest in a recliner? Are we to rest in front of a television? Are we to rest in our bed? Are we to rest while looking at Facebook? Uh, are these the ways that we rest, endlessly scrolling through a news feed or uh, 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 endlessly changing, uh, flipping channels and, or, or streaming? I don't guess people flip through channels anymore, do they? We, we stream services like uh, whatever the streaming services are, and uh, we binge watch, right? Is that the, that, uh, the, the channel, endless channel flipping has turned to endless binge watching of shows that we love, right? And so uh, is that how we rest? Do we rest by just lounging around the house or sitting in front of the fire with a book or laying on our bed or uh, uh, having our favorite pastime? Notice there, it doesn't say rest in the recliner. It doesn't say rest in front of a television. It doesn't say rest with your smartphone. It says rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. You are to rest in the Lord. Turn just a few pages to the right. Psalm 46 and verse Number 10, Psalm 46, 10. We're going to look at a common verse here, one I'm sure a large percentage of the audience tonight has memorized. One of my favorite verses in the book of Psalm. It says there, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, one of the things I enjoy doing when I read the book of Psalm is I enjoy digging into the passage to see who wrote what psalm and what the circumstances were that brought about the psalm. And so I set out to do that many years ago with the 46th psalm. I was having my devotions one morning and I came across the 46th psalm and the Lord really spoke to me out of this psalm and I thought, who wrote this psalm and uh, what was, the, uh, what was the, the circumstances around the birth of this psalm? And I will say that there is a great debate amongst theologians as to who wrote the psalm. Some speculate it was Moses. Many speculate it was David. There are a few people out there that speculate it was King Hezekiah. And I would say I'm on team Hezekiah on this one. Let me show you why. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 36 and verse number 13. Isaiah 36, 13. And let me kind of uh, help you understand what was going on in Isaiah 36. Rabshakeh was general of the armies 
of the Assyrians. And Rabshakeh rides up to the walls of the cities of Jerusalem and he begins to blaspheme God in front of all the men that were guarding the wall, that were sitting on top of the wall. And so look at Isaiah 36 and verse number 13. The Bible says, Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice uh, in the Jews' language and said, Hear ye the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. The city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. So Hezekiah and the people enter into a waiting period where their enemy is threatening them and they are seeking God's face as to what, uh, as to what they're supposed to do. Uh, turn to Isaiah 37. Isaiah 37. Isaiah tells Hezekiah not to bother with it because God will kill Rabshakeh in his own land. Look at 37, verse 36. So they're in a time of waiting. They're being threatened. There's a lot of uh, uh, saber rattling, if you will. And the people inside are forced to wait for God to deliver them. Look at 37, 36. The Bible says, Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. That's 185,000. And when uh, they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Wow. What a, what a happening, right? You all may remember the war that happened in Israel uh, back in the last century. I, what was that war called? Was it the five-day, six-day war? And um, is that, was that the name of it? Six-day war? And uh, all I've heard about was there was just all sorts of divine intervention that kept Israel from being destroyed. This would have been uh, on, on par with that, except even more sensational. You have Rabshakeh standing outside the wall with his men. Uh, they have the Israelites outnumbered, and they've got him surrounded. And he's taunting them. He's provoking them. He's threatening them. He's gloating. And he, he's, he's, he's arrogant in his approach and has the army behind him to back up his arrogancy. And Isaiah walks into Hezekiah's palace, and he says, Hezekiah, it's all good. He says, Hezekiah, he says, you don't need to lift a finger you need to just wait on the Lord to deliver you. God's going to destroy this man in his own land. Lo and behold, uh, they, they are called back to Assyria uh, in a rush, and they get back into their own land, and the angel of the Lord goes through, and he kills 185,000 soldiers. Now, with that as the backdrop, Psalm 46, verse 10, we read, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Many of you here this evening may feel as though you're under some sort of satanic attack. Maybe you're not getting along with a family member or a friend. Maybe you're having a tough time at work getting along with a boss. Maybe it's your neighbor's. Maybe you feel unsettled. Maybe you even feel unsettled here at this church. Uh, I, it's hard to know in each situation what each one of you is going through. You say, well, Pastor, I have to do something. Well, let me tell you what you're to do. 
You're to rest in the Lord and wait patiently. You're to be still and know that He is God. You're to lean on His everlasting arms and wait on Him to give you direction as to what to do and how to proceed. We take our marching orders from the Lord. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Are you resting in the Lord? Some of you here this evening uh, likely are in great turmoil. You don't know what the immediate future holds or the long-term future holds, and you wonder how to proceed. And I would ask you this evening, are you walking with God? Are you taking that matter to God in prayer and seeking His face? Are you finding that serenity in your Savior? Imagine with me, if you will, that a bird has given uh, birth to her little, uh, her little birds there, uh, her little uh, chickadees right there, and, and, and right by a waterfall. And, and a storm comes along, and you've got the raging waterfall over here. You've got the rain coming down hard, and th- that mother bird just sits down on her nest, and she gets wide and puts those wings out, and she protects her little babies from that storm. The Lord Jesus Christ, the God of heaven, wants to be the one that covers you with His wings while the storms of life rage on. But if we're outside of His nest and we're not resting in the Lord, well, that's when we get rattled. That's when things get tough. Are you resting in the Lord? You see, we want to oftentimes, listen now, this is important, We want to substitute spiritual rest for physical rest. Those are not the same thing. How many of you here have ever gone through a season of life where you've gotten seven, eight, nine hours of sleep and woken up and still felt emotionally or spiritually exhausted? You know why? Because you're getting the wrong kind of rest. When you are emotionally and spiritually empty, the only way to get rest is to read the Bible and to pray. Walk with God. There have been many times where I've gotten in my car when I was going through something. I've driven out into the middle of a field, middle of nowhere. And I've gotten out and just looking up at the stars. You say, well, Pastor, what do you say in that moment? You know what I usually say? Nothing. I just sit there. And I look at God's creation. And I let God minister to my soul. Then I get my Bible out. And I'll read until my heart, spiritual heart, burns. Psalm 23, the psalmist said, He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth. Not my body. He restoreth my soul. I love the time and era I live in. I love it. I love all that technology offers and the modern advances of life and the big fancy hospitals we have and what doctors are able to do is 
nothing short of amazing. I love the communication abilities. My, I have family, uh, married, uh, married into family that's in, uh, on the other side of the world, and uh, in a moment's notice I can be on a video call with them. And The world has shrunk as far as transportation and communication and information goes. One of the downsides of living in 2021 is we live in a society that moves at a neck break speed. God did not make the human body to move at the speed in which we move. When you get frazzled and rattled, the best thing you can do is unplug from it all. Be still and know that He is God. You see, while you are waiting, you're to be working. Not work that has no eternal value. Work that that is going to alter eternity. While you're waiting, you should be seeking, regularly spending time with God. And while you're waiting, you should be resting. Number four, and lastly, the fourth action I want us to see is while we are waiting, we are to be growing. While we wait, we are to wait while growing, while growing. Turn over to, uh, we're going to look at two uh, uh, verses in the New Testament in books right next to each other, James and then Hebrews. Turn to James chapter 1 with me in verse number 4. James 1 in verse number 4. The Bible says, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You know what I see there is if I'm letting patience, waiting, if I'm letting patience do its work, that I'm going to be mature, I'm going to be entire, and I'm going to be Content. Content. These are markers of a Christian who is growing through their waiting. Turn over to Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews 11. I've tried to this, uh, this morning and evening uh, give you principles, give you a verse about that principle, and then give you a biblical example of of that being lived out. Each one has been accompanied by a Bible example of these being lived out. Who can we look at and say, boy, that person really grew through their waiting? Well, there's a lot of Bible examples we could pull from, but one stands out to me above the rest, and that is the, uh, the Old Testament uh, character of Abraham. Look with me here, Hebrews 11, and look at verse number 8. Look here, the Bible says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out, into a place while he should after receive an inheritance obeyed and he went out uh, not knowing whither he went by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob the heirs with him of the same promise for he looked for a city which had hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was, and was uh, delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of, even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. 
You know, when God came to Abram, his name was Abram at the time, when God came to Abram and Sarai there in Ur of the Chaldees, uh, they did not have any children and did not have any hope of having children. In fact, it seemed as though they were just going to be a couple who were married and loved each other and would go to the grave with no heritage to leave behind. And God came to Abram and he said, Abram, I want you to gather your things, Genesis 12. I want you to depart into a land of which I'll show you. And if you'll, you'll obey me, I will make of thee a great nation. Abraham, I want you to go. I want you to obey. I want you to uh, grow through this process. And so Abram did. He obeyed. He gathered his things and his family. He sold his possessions there in Ur of the Chaldees. And he left with uh, just a few uh, folk uh, with him to travel with him. And he began to follow the Lord step by step. And there were many times in Genesis 12 through uh, 22 where he got discouraged along the way and began to feel as though God was not going to keep his answers, or rather not going to keep his promises to him. And uh, uh, Abraham became discouraged and even made some mistakes along the way, but Abraham would get himself back on track and Sarah would get herself back on track and uh, they would stay faithful. Was it, uh, was it smooth? Were they perfect? No. Did they make some mistakes? Oh, of course they did. Abraham ended up marrying another woman and having a child through her. Abraham uh, tried to use his wife as a way to gain money twice in a far country, and he did. And uh, They were underhanded and sly maneuvers. Um, Abraham and Sarah had marriage problems through this, and uh, there were issues with now a stepson in the family and, uh, and, and just uh, d- discontentment and upbeat But at the end of the day, they got back up, they got on track, they did what was right, and they grew in the Lord. Boy, a couple of times, God had to come along Abraham's side and say, Abraham, I haven't forgotten about you. Abraham, look up at the stars in the sky. You see all those stars up there? Abraham, look out at the sand on the shore. Can you count all the stars? Can you count the grains of sand? I am going to make of you a nation of people that are greater than the stars of the sky and the sands of the shore. And Abraham stayed faithful. In the end, he stayed faithful to the Lord. Sarah would become faithful to the Lord, stay faithful to the Lord, and God would grow them and mature them and complete them. Now, I'm going to just make this one point, and we're going to, we're going to be done with the service this evening. Here it is, okay? Many of you in here this evening, and myself at times included, God tells you to wait with the hope that you'll grow. And you squander the opportunity. Because instead of trusting God, you turn and trust man or you trust yourself. And my friend, don't do that. When God, you bring a prayer to the Lord and God says, wait, and it's clear that he's not opening or closing doors, if you don't grow through that, then you're missing out on an opportunity to become who God wants you to be. What happens when we grow while waiting? Well, we become perfect or mature and entire, and we become content, wanting nothing, James 1.4 tells us. How are you doing with that tonight? God has put you in a season of life in some way or another of waiting, of waiting. Are you busy doing the work of the Lord? Are you busy seeking the face of the Lord? Are you busy resting in the Lord? Are you busy this evening growing in the Lord? Or are you just wandering through life in a selfish and carnal way? My friend, God's called us 
not to just sit around while we wait. God's called us to wait and work. Wait and seek. Wait and uh, rest. Wait and grow. Let's get busy tonight while we're waiting on the Lord. Let's, let's wait on Him the way He's called us to wait. One day, you and I are going to stand before God and we're going to give an account of our lives one-on-one, mano we mano. And He's going to say, what did you do while you waited? How about it tonight? A workshop on waiting. We looked at the attributes this morning. We've looked at the actions this evening. Are we busy while we're waiting? Let's have our heads about a nice close this evening. Lord, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you that we can study it um, verse by verse. Lord, we can take a topic such as waiting and we can scour the Scriptures and uh, we can uh, understand topically what you want from us. Lord, tonight, help us to be busy doing what you've got in front of us while we wait. I think of the parable of the husbandman who sends the servants to check up on his vineyard. And, uh, Lord, they were not ready when uh, the servant arrived. And one day, Lord, it won't just be a servant checking up on us. Lord Jesus, one day you're going to want to see the labor of our spiritual garden, of our spiritual vineyard. And, Lord, help us at that moment and at that time to have something to show you that you'll approve, something that you'll look at and you'll be able to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, may this message tonight be a wake-up call for many. May we get busy doing your work in Jesus' name.